Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a startup coach and ally for scale-up founders. Today with me is the CEO and one of the three founders of Contract Book, Niels Martin Bruckner. Hello, Niels. How are you? Hey, Roland. How are you doing? So glad to have you on the podcast. Contract Book is uh, one of our very hot companies in the legal tech space, right? I think uh, what you do is to digitize contract management. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I had a long discussion about legal tech today, actually, with one of my employees. If you should call it legal tech or just call it CLM, because we sell contract lifecycle management mm. more than we sell legal tech, and legal tech is more of a it is something more than legal professionals call it. But as we target the SMB segment, most of them don't have legal professionals. So it's more of a kind of optimization product than it's a legal tech product for these guys. Like most of these guys actually work with it as a, a automation and, or an, an optimization play more than it actually defined legal tech solution. Wow, you heard it here first. We don't talk about legal tech anymore. We talk now about contract lifecycle management, a whole new term for us to actually come to terms with, right, Niels? So tell us a little bit more about that. What does that mean for those SMB customers that you target in offering them contract lifecycle management? Yeah, so, so basically contract book is like very much different than our competitors. So who we normally target and what you normally see is that when you go out there and I would call it greenfield selling. So when we go out there and talk about different kind of target book that we speak to is we normally say, okay, so they have the cases that they have, uh, let's say contract management. And then we ask them, what does contract management mean? And contract Mm -hmm. management means that they have a point solution called a digital signature like DocuSign and storage like Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And then we ask them, okay, so how would you feel about having everything in one platform? Which mm-hmm. is and they would be like, so I can do that? And I'm like, yeah, you can do that. That's actually pretty <laughs> interesting. And then people go out and they say, okay, and then you can embed all the processes with all the data into my CRM system, HR system, et cetera. And then they're like, yeah, you can do that as well. So people tend to buy into the integration and the SAP of the world where you kind of take the data from one system into another mm-hmm. uh, instead of having this date, dead data format of PDF. So mm-hmm. everything is stored in, in JSON in contract program. It's a very, very machine-friendly data format, mm-hmm. which kind of allows us to work with the data for the future. So you don't need OCR scans to kind of convert it, but you can just work with it in the raw data format from day one. We also allow people to upload the history, like the legacy documents. So if you have documents which are signed with a DocuSign or sign. You can also upload these documents to contract work and you can add tasks, future things, negotiations, that kind of stuff as well. And everything is in contract book in our data format, meaning that we can actually automate everything. So everything gets moved automatically just via working in contract book, which kind of is very much different than having five point solutions stitched together via five or four APIs. Absolutely. I I am intrigued, though, that you say your key customers here are SMBs. That means companies without a legal professional on staff. Does that then actually get the traction for, let's say, I'm guessing it's the owner here who's going to be buying into this solution? Can you talk a little bit bit more about that? Yeah, because I think that you can look at it from a general point. 
Like, like in many, in, in for a long time, it's still in contract work, we don't have a HR employee. We don't have a salary person because we mm -hmm. have a salary payslip system. So mm -hmm. in the same way that like, like the payslip systems and the CRMs and whatnot allows you to automate and facilitate for in SMBs, contract book just automates, facilitates, allows them to feel like legal professionals. So mm -hmm. they don't need a, like, like in the same way, I love the analogy of, 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 of we use HubSpot, right? When yep. I used HubSpot the first time, and I got like I got kind of like fully kind of embodied into it, and I was like getting notifications, what not happened. I was like, wow! I was so addicted because I felt like a, like a sales professional. And the only thing I had was a software and a phone, and I felt mm -hmm. like a, like a sales professional. And in the same way, we we make our users feel like legal professionals. Like so, when a HR employee, a employee, or a sales professional, they work in contract group, we give them the peace of mind for them to how to manage documents. So they feel like, okay, when it's here, it's fully controlled and automated. And I'm like, I can have peace of mind. And that goes way, way through the organization. Okay. So talk to me a little bit more about the technological advantage. You mentioned that it's everything is stored in JSON format. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool, of course. But how is that adoption barrier then for people moving from more of a legacy system to to Jason, does that mean they have to rewrite all their contracts? Uh, how does that actually work? Basically, it means nothing, right? Because we can we can we can take the, the, the format we have. So you basically copy pasted your word file or what whatever you want to use into our our editor, and then it converts it into JSON. Mm -hmm. So it so, looks yeah, like so, yeah, it, so, it looks like a normal doc, but basically is stored in another format. Right, it's just an internal storage format. That's how it starts. And then how do you start getting the benefits of having that stored in a specific, you know, structured technology such as JSON? Right, you can, what you can do is like, you can automate all your future tasks based on the data and the contracts. Uh -huh. So yeah. ima imagine that you have renegotiation date, prices, all that stuff, all that jazz. Then you want to, in the, in all the cool stuff, which basically is your, is, is your company, right? Mm -hmm. You have all the data that you need going forward. Everything is then stored in that format. And then it's only your imagination that sets up where you want that data to go, what you want automated, and what you want to renegotiate it. You can either have like recreate, uh, it can file it when signed, it can create a task or multiple tasks, ta uh, task managed, tag people based on signature stage, et cetera, et cetera. It files it, it stores it, it even extracts the data and puts it into your sales uh, system or in another external storage system. So it's basically kind of, it can work into whatever workflow you have, but we ensure that the data format of the full kind of uh, lifecycle management is one place. So yeah. imagine that you have a thousand contracts and you need to fire a thousand people. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you figure out, or you have no, you don't need, but you know, you need to fire 30 people. Like yeah. a thousand contracts, 30 people. You need to find out of those, thousand contract you need to figure out you need to identify the uh, the permission that allows you to fire which people which can you decide among like mm -hmm. for you to go hassle free through that firing process yeah we can like that we can extract that data form we can extract based on a built based security mm -hmm. so you can kind of instead of reading that through a thousand contracts and hoping that you're going to hit 30 to start with that makes sense it actually just going to outline the ones that that you where where what a permission or exception in the document that actually allows it. 
That's awesome. So, Niels, how did you even get into this space? Like, do you have a legal background or what was the, the journey into this space of contract lifecycle management? <laughs> As everybody, uh, all other kids, I obviously dreamed about being a CEO of a, uh, of a contract management mm -hmm. my whole life. <laughs> no, I, 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 I've been, I, my background is I studied both bachelor and master in London and yep. I worked in Shell Oil between my bachelor and master and, mm -hmm. um, and I quickly figured out that the normal corporate world wasn't for me and working in, in Shell Oil wasn't for me as an associate mm -hmm. at that point. So when I, uh, I actually started my first company dual when I simultaneously when I was uh, writing my thesis, like for my master's degree. Mm -hmm. and raised money for it and launched the product basically straight after my university and obviously we crashed and failed miserably it was a it was a great product but a bad business what and, was the um, business sorry of your first startups always interesting to hear a little bit more even if it crashed <laughs> it was a, it was a preference-based city guide called wall world so okay. um i've lived and it was the second time we moved back to london and it occurred to me that it took me a while kind of figuring out who where to go and which coffee bars to visit and stuff like that. And then I figured out that, it, that TripAdvisor only gave me places based on if it was expensive and close by or if it was cheap or close by. And I wanted to kind of differentiate a good experience based on people. So mm. the whole thing was to build about preferences, build around kind of a color guide of preferences. So you know that if, if, you, look, if you like that place in Copenhagen, you would love that place as well in, in, in New York, in Paris, in Moscow, et cetera. Mm, awesome. Okay. Uh, okay. It was actually it was but we we never cracked the business idea and um, at the end of the day it was a great experience. Uh, I've taken a lot with me into a contract group. What we did afterwards was actually create a Dimso Studio, helping other startups and companies building app products brands called Wow Media. And at that point, we had a client who contacted us and said, "Hey, I have this idea for something in the contract sphere. Mm. I know I can't really kind of pay you guys to do it." but I would love to try to figure out what your take on it. And I had a meeting, I drank a coffee with the guy, um, a guy called Christian. And he said, I have, I've been trying to figure out what to do in this space for a while, but I don't really know how to solve it. And I basically kind of explained to him over kind of two hours and two cups of coffee that night, how I would do it. I turned it all around, you know, don't care about the precedent, the data format, you need to kind of start from the bottom up, build it again figure out how to kind of, how is the, how is the millennials and generation C going to work in this? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, not the boomers. Kind of right. how, how do we kind of, how, how do we turn it around? So we started data up, like, like going data first, trying to build something that looked like, uh, like Word and Dropbox. And mm -hmm. it was, it was a, like, it was a difficult product to start with, but we launched the good learning for me was that we had paying clients on day one. So mm -hmm. Victor was out hunting clients on day one with slideware, just presentationware. And <laughs> just showing kind of how it worked and the, the science for it. And we had like, we had pretty cool clients. We had like uh, Rainmaking Loft, which is like an office uh, office space in London and Copenhagen. And we had Domino's and Panericar. And we had like a dozen of pretty cool brands using it from day one. But the product wasn't the best. So 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 they gave us loads of feedback yeah. uh, <laughs> on how to make it better. And clients, we needed kind of dozens and dozens of clients who could actually give us proper feedback so we could build something that made sense for them. Uh, and that's what we've been trying to do from day one and we're still doing it. So a lot of startups, uh, Niels, know in their heads that they should be out with the product right away, even if it doesn't feel quite ready yet, just like you described. 
but in their heart or their stomach, they really don't dare to, right? So how did you overcome that fear of going out of your office with a product that really didn't feel ready yet and, you know, already selling it to big clients, like you mentioned? Going back to the city guide, the city guide yeah. was a perfect working product. It yeah. was so awesome. The brand was so good, but there wasn't a business model. So oh. we, we didn't know what our clients would do. So it was the basic experience from, I, I, I'm, you know, at business school, you get learned how to run uh, big businesses, how they would do brand management and how they would do it. But in the real world, you need iterations. Like you don't have the budget to fail with a big, well-functioning product. You need to fail fast. You need to figure out how to, what doesn't work, what, what, what's people, what is people happy about. We need to kind of figure out what's out there. The relationships that you build, people underestimate how people in a corporation, in a big client, are just eager to see you succeed, right? And helping you understand their business, helping you do better as a startup because you have that special thing that a normal vendor doesn't have. You allow them co-creation of the product. Yeah, we, we do. We, we give them as much ownership as we can. But if it, I would also say, on the other hand, if you ask a normal client about how they do contract management, if they want to change it, and if they have a process where it's, you know, a word, a word, manual word process that then gets converted into PDF, and then they, they put it into DocuSign, and then they when it's stored, they put it, drag it in, drag and drop it into the Dropbox. I'm not... They don't feel that they have a problem because they don't see the problem. They have a process. They don't understand that they can make this one step a one step solution. Mm -hmm. And so asking people for feedback, you need to have a good enough product to also understand that you have more insight than they do. Yeah. And then you need to educate them on the way with the possibilities that's actually there. So co-creation is much about not letting them control it as well, in my opinion, because mm. they need to share your vision. Otherwise, you're going to start building their vision and they might not be the right guys to, and their vision might not be the correct one. Like your investors as a startup guy invest in your vision and your product. They don't invest a client's idea of how they think that it should be incorporated with SAP or Oracle or something. That's not what they invest in. They invest in your kind of vision for how it should be done. Uh, you said you wanted to get quite a few big customers ready to re really learn from. And um, mm -hmm. your target group is now defined more as SMB. So was that kind of an evolution from your original target group? Or how did you land on that target group of SMBs? I think at some point we analyzed the, the, the buying behavior. We analyzed the, the purchase kind of the purchase cycles. Um, and... We figured out if we adjusted the prices appropriately, we could have created sales cycles that was fairly short, uh, adding a lot of value from day one to the clients, uh, having a fairly high NPS score, and obviously decreasing churn. So what we did is that we said, okay, if we target customers who are less than six years old mm -hmm. and less than 100 people yep. uh, or departments less than 30 people, we give ourselves the best chance of success. Like for them to have low churn, high NPS, uh, fairly high and expansion clients with potential of expanding there and have the maturity to expand into the automation play that we want to, right? So we sell them CLM, but what we're building is data-driven document automation. So yeah. they're looking for, and to kind of make it clear, right? They're looking for contract management. They find contract lifecycle management, but what we're building is data-driven document automation. They're not ready for that, but 
the companies I'm talking about here, companies in that segment are ready to buy in and to grow into data-driven document automation because they start in our CLM and store it in the correct way. So we can automate themselves out of multiple employees going forward. Mm-hmm. Like manage documents. And that's the whole kind of division I was saying for. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, a lot of the earlier stage startups that we work with, especially when people have more of a technical background, they say, well, you know, our technology is so awesome. We don't want to focus on one target group. We should basically offer this to the whole world, you know, every vertical, small and large. Uh, Why do you think that ultimately companies do focus in on more of a specific target group, like you were saying, SMBs less than six years old, less than 100 people? What's the reasoning behind that in your experience? Like there's 50 million companies in the world, in the US and Europe in this segment. I think this is more reasonable. At this point, we are... We have a pretty kind of well-growing business, but we only have like around, let's say more than a bit more than 500 paying logos who's generated mm-hmm. more than 100,000 users. Yeah. Like, so imagine if there's five, if there 50 million <laughs> companies and <laughs> we right now have five, uh, 500 uh, and 100,000 users. Yeah. You can do the math. Like, the virality of the product is pretty good and our, and our NPS score is 85. So... Like we have an indication that people are very happy for using our product and mm-hmm. growth kind of three, four X year over year is kind of the, the trajectory of where we are and where we're going yep. and more, maybe five actually. And so it, it all kind of depends on who you are as a company. And we just figured out that this is where we could drive the most growth. We could have the lowest, highest local attainment and spreading ourselves too thin over too many, like too high of a group of people. Or like you say, yeah, our, our software is so awesome. Our, our belief is that our software is so awesome. But what we also believe is that we are not able to help the Geico's of the world at this point because they right. have so much legacy storage and legacy process that we simply cannot embody in the system we built. So yes. we need to kind of go down. We have companies who are 16,000 people. Yeah. That's not it. That, but, but it's a company who's really ready for it. Yeah. And it's most, in most cases, companies are not you know, 10,000 or 15 or 20,000 man companies are not ready for that process yet. That's right. So Mm -hmm. we kind of just agreed with ourselves that we basically put them on a waiting list. And if they are ready to kind of embody our product or to to kind of get in with it, we want to get in with them, but we don't want to target them because the, the sales cycles might be three years, implementation, 18 months. And like, and if we calculate it backwards and say, okay, in, th- in that time, in those four and a half years, it takes us to close a sale with Geico and implement it. And they're still not happy because it doesn't really facilitate their legacy processes. We could have thousands of SMBs yeah. with high volume that generates more, more velocity and in, in signatures and storage and enables us to actually change the future with the data format we're working in. So for us, it just made it very simple. We could just kind of grab onto the whole kind of forest of SMBs who nobody cared about in this segment and make mm. their process make that process super simple with a holistic product that just solves that kind of solves their basic needs. Absolutely. So what a lot of founders ask me, like if I do get into that growth mode or when I get in that growth mode, how should I allocate resources you know do we keep spending most on product and engineering or do we spend it all on go-to-market build up 
how have you guys decided uh, how to balance your resources in your growth phase? For us, it's very much figuring out how to, we've been very product-led until now. We now need to scale sales for the first time. Like mm -hmm. And being a product-led company, that's it's going to be a, a, a funny challenge, I would say. I'm not too worried about it. But it, we will need great talent to help us with that process. And accept that you need to do maybe a hard reset on some parts of your business as well when scaling. Like, I think the most important thing is that in our case, we are, I, we call it people-centric. So that makes us client-centric. Like, I, I believe that the people is where you start and the founders should be recruiting the people to kind of be the pillars of the business going forward. Mm -hmm. And so it's not only about only doing a culture check, but really kind of understanding are we hiring, you know, future leaders of the groups? Like, will this be a person who can kind of be in one role today and who's such a great person that you can remove them in a completely different role another day due to their talent and people expertise? So we look at very diverse profiles. We like specialists, obviously, but we also very much care about the attributes of the people. Like, who are they as people? Like, do we believe that they will, like, if people ask you about the culture, for example, yep. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in the culture is a living thing. Mm -hmm. Like, so the culture we had a year ago is not the same as we have today. And the culture right. we, ha we, we have now is, is going to be very different in half a year and both months. Mm -hmm. And the culture is going to be defined by the targets. And the targets are obviously very steep when you, when you work in, the, in, in our field. And therefore, you will have a, 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 a very competitive culture, but you also have, if you grow, like have hire great people, you'll be able to have a great culture with great people, even though it's a steep, a steep staircase and targets. Like even yes. though you have some steep targets, it's okay. As long as you have a people with empathy, who support each other, uh, who work with each other, doesn't work against each other. Like it's, it's, it's very, in my opinion, it's very simple. So, Niels, what's the vision for Contract Book like? How far do you see this grow? Where do you want to? Where do you guys want to be in maybe five years down the road? <laughs> I like to say world domination. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So our our ambition is very high. I mean, we believe that we have a very solid fundament for our product and, and to enable kind of data driven document automation in let's say twenty five, where you basically. Where people will start, I think that in a couple of years or in this, our target or hope is that people start app shaming other people for not using contract book in the same way that they do with superhuman, as an example. Like people app shaming, app, like, I love the yeah. term. Yes, right, we right. have to make that the form of virality, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? People, because if you can get to a place where people say, yeah, so I used this Gmail import the other day with contract book that just, you know, extracted all my DocuSign documents from contract book and uploaded to contract book. And then extract the data and create future tasks for me to remember. If if people start you know talking about that, then you know you're going to be unbeatable. I hope the vision for this is kind of that it's so next level in my opinion within contract management that it, it we can't kind of we, we won't budge on our ambitions at least. So Niels, uh, as we close this recording, what can our listeners help you with? Are there certain jobs you're desperate to hire? Do you want them to try out the product? What is the most helpful contribution they could make to contract book? If they're in our target group, uh, then they should definitely, you know, use the product. And if it works for them, I'm sure it would be. And um, I would be happy to kind of uh, give them a, a, a listener's discount or something and uh, to get them started or as a potential kind of person who's looking for a job in 
business development or sales or CS yep. or even product, they should definitely reach out. Like we're hiring like crazy people at the moment. So uh, we're looking at international scales. So and we are remote first or distributed first. So location doesn't matter too much for us. Okay. So if, if somebody's interested in, in something working with me and my team, then they should definitely reach out. Awesome. And for those that do want to try the product, is there like a free trial or something that they can download or uh, what's the what's the best next step there? There isn't a free version of it. Uh, we also have an early access program. So if you are an early access startup, you would be able to get that where there's a lot of discounts and there's some perks as, as, a, as a young company. Excellent. Um, okay. And the website that they should go to? They should go to contractbook.com contractbook.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, uh, Niels Martin Bruckner, for joining this uh, Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. This was an awesome interview, and I'm looking forward to seeing all the growth and funds raised that should be announced hopefully shortly. For everyone else, if you want an introduction to Niels, then feel free to reach out if you know me already, or just go to contractbook.com to uh, try out the product. So thank you very much once again, Niels. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.